Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go, so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode 85 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. Uh, and this is the Daikaiju Discussion episode for June 2013, and we're going to be talking to our discussioneers who will be joining me in just a little bit. But uh, for right now, we're going to go ahead and get stuff happening because we have a very 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 full plate tonight but we are going to start things off with two requests the first one is for ben who requested godzilla versus ebira from godzilla's revenge
mouth of the Sakai River, land, air, and sea units of the nation's defense force have gone into action in an effort to prevent the huge green monster from retreating back into the ocean, and of course to destroy it. As I said, we started things off with Godzilla vs. Ebira. For, uh, that was for Ben. And now that's by uh, Kunio Miyauchi, who actually not only did the music for Godzilla's Revenge, which is, of course, what that track is from, he also did a lot of music for uh, the Ultra stuff. So I think he did some stuff for Ultra Q and Ultraman, etc. He's got a very playful palette when it comes to his music. And um, then the next song we played was Godzilla Falls into Mount Mihara by Rajiro Kuroku from Godzilla 1985 or Return of Godzilla or Godzilla Returns. Anyway, that second track was requested by longtime listener Mark Eaton, who has joined the army, and we wish him the best of luck. Gambate! Uh, and then we finish things off with Gargantua's Last Stand by one of my favorite kaiju related bands, Man or Astro Man, and that was from their album Destroy All Astro Men. Now, the reason I played that is, of course, because once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, solidifying that this show will keep going for a long, long time. This month, we are viewing and reviewing the 1966 co-production between Toho and Henry Saperstein's uh, studio United Pictures of America. Now, this was part of a multi-picture deal where UPA ponied up like part of the budget and supplied an American actor to uh, broaden the appeal of the film as it came overseas. Uh, the American actor 
in this film is Russ Tamlin, star of such classics as West Side Story and, um, well, let's just say Twin Peaks. Uh, the film was initially penned to be a sequel to um, Frankenstein Conquers the World, but apparently the U.S. market didn't really want that, and so UPA made some changes and War of the Gargantuas was born. Uh, now I have some people who you've heard their voices before joining me in just a minute, and uh, we'll come right back after we've watched the movie. I am joined in studio by Brian Cook. Hello. Adam Alexander. Hello. And Martin Vavra. Hey there. And we just finished watching War of the Gargantuas, and it is time to discuss it. Uh, so who had not, you had not really seen this before, right, Adam? No. This is sort of-ish the first time you'd seen the film. I have a vague memory when I was really young, less than 10 years old, of catching snippets of it on television. Right on. Okay, so what were your initial thoughts? And I know that the ending became an issue for you. <laughs> but uh, overall, what would you, you know, what would you say about this as far as your, your initial thoughts on the movie? It's uh, a lot to distill down. I actually have... A few initial thoughts because this is such a very distinctive kaiju film. Um, it's rather defined by the suits themselves. The fact that they're the most lithe and agile of any kaiju movie that I'm aware of, with the possible exception, I think, of in, in Frankenstein Conquers the World, where it's just a makeup as opposed to a full bodysuit. Yeah, yeah, definitely more, more just grease paint and... Uh the Frankenstein headpiece on top of that guy, yeah. So these these uh, the fights between the two Gargantua are probably the most I don't know violent, visceral, tussling, uh, wrestling style ones of any kaiju fight that I can think of. And the other initial impression is that the special effects in general, the cinematography and the special effects in general for this movie were far above par, I think. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think you mentioned that earlier when we were watching it that, you know, you you questioned like the the budget for it. Uh and I I mean I don't know the budget off the top of my head. I may be able to look that up. Some of those numbers are lost to the ages, of course, but uh it's definitely one of the films that that you know, it's more of a, a spectacle of uh of special effects in this than some of the, especially some of the other Godzilla films right around that time. Uh, and as we talked about during the movie, Godzilla versus the sea monster or Ebira horror of the deep came out the same year. And that one's not very special effects heavy. No. Yeah. But I even noticed that I guess either blue or green screening, however, they were doing the monsters, uh, with this, you know, actual smaller proportion people and, mm -hmm. and, and buildings and, and live action kind of footage seemed more seamless than any other film of the, of that was contemporary at the time to my eyes. Well, they also uh, had the benefit of the monsters being smaller than your normal Godzilla movie monsters. True. So uh, that helped out. I think that helped out a lot for like miniature work and matching, uh, matching your mat and composite shots, at least in my opinion. But uh, let's hear what uh, the other two guys in the in the room had to say for their initial thoughts. I mean, we just watched this a couple of months ago for the for the commentary that we recorded. So. Martin, I just happen to be looking in your direction. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is the third time for me. This is that's actually kind of a record when it comes to the kaiju <laughs> see, movies on the list. The movies, yeah, yeah, for me to be three three into it. So, um, 
You know, this is one I'm, while I, I do, I, I agree with the agility part of all of that. These are my least favorite kaiju suits, just with the way they look and all of that. There's that. Um, I, I don't really care for that so much. I still, this one, it's just like, man, they're never going to get the maser cannons hooked up. There's so much time setting that whole thing up. Like, we saw everything except for the development of electricity <laughs> with them setting up for this one. So that one still gets me. It's it's funny that, so was it worse the second time? Like, watching this uh, for the third time, actually, excuse me, would, would you say that out of the three times you've seen it, this is the the least interesting interested you've been in the film or no, not at all. But that, that whole section seemed so much longer this time because I was so aware of it and we had talked about it right, in the commentary right. that it, it really, I, I it feel like I felt like I was amplifying it. So what about the differences? Cause before you had only seen the Jap, uh, the sorry, before you had only seen the English versions, mm-hmm. this time was the first time you'd seen the Japanese language version. What, what about that? Any kind of differences there that you could just like off the top of your head remember? Uh, no, not really. I have to say it was actually, um, I think there was actually, uh, for the most part, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more this time, which is really odd because I had to read. Um, you know, and the last time I didn't have to read, I got to watch the film and I could just hear it. So this one, I, you know, the glancing down of having to read, but no, I kind of, I, I kind of dug it. It was pretty sweet. Right on. And Brian, how many times have you seen War of the Gargantuas, man? Mm, At least two. 40, 50 <laughs> times. I love it. It's really? one of my favorite. Yeah, it's one of my Where favorite. Where does this kaiju sit in, in your overall enjoyment of, of kaiju films? If you were if you had a one through seventy rank, you know. One through for, seventy rank? Yeah. That's very specific, but here they are. No. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> Just where does War of the Gargantuas sit? It would be incredibly Strap high. yourselves in, everybody, <laughs> and our listeners out there. Here we go. Just the top 32. Yeah. <laughs> no, it would be really, really high. Like, top three, top five favorites. I wow. go back to it all that's, the time. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. I think it's, in terms of the Toho films, it's second only to Godzilla vs. Monster Zero in terms of everything firing on all cylinders, the movie being really fun, having really good effects, like looking really cool. I I love the way the suits look. I know they look low, lo-fi, and it's basically just a Bigfoot costume, but that does it for me. I'm totally there. I think there are elements of it that are like a Bigfoot costume, but there's a, I think there's a lot more going on than just a, a hairy suit. I mean, you've right. got a lot of scales going on, and the faces... Uh, Although I will say that the this time I was watching and when Sanda saves uh, Kumi Mizuno's character, um, I was like, man, he looks, he almost looks like a beatnik musician. He's got like <laughs> sort of like the chin beard yeah. and like the shaggy mop top, uh, and uh, and he's so you know so much more humanoid looking than the uh, than Gyra, whose yeah. face looks very much kind of like a mixture between like five different Japanese creature mm-hmm. demon things. Yeah. So the faces are pretty unsubtle as far as who you're supposed to be rooting for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for yeah. sure. One looks like you could have them over for dinner. The other one looks like you would eat you for dinner <laughs> uh, and then spit out your clothes. So uh, let's talk about things that we liked and didn't like about the film. Uh, Adam, what, what did you, what did you not like about this film? Well, I, I totally know where Martin's coming from. The center section 
is is where it drags. The setting up the whole mazers, the the play, game of hide and seek in the forest, um, it it just felt like it was going on for an awfully long time. I was very relieved when uh, the second gargantua comes in, and then you actually have some. I don't know, progression to the story, because up to that point, I was thinking, well, we're just killing time here. I know the (laughs) movie's not going to end here. They're not going to deal a significant amount of damage. Maybe he's going to destroy some stuff, but there's no story that's happening right here, and it's been going on forever. Um, So so that uh, uh, was dragging, but except for that part, I thought that, yeah, it was firing on on all cylinders. The octopus fight in the very beginning and and was amazing. Just totally. a great start to the whole thing. I thought the fight in the city at the very end was awesome. Um, I enjoyed I enjoyed pretty much every time that any of the gargantuas or either of the gargantuas were on screen. Mm-hmm. And the humans, I totally didn't hate. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. So uh, I, I would agree that that visually in terms of story and so long as you go get a snack while they're setting up the mazers, that it's it's a pretty powerful, pretty pretty high-ranking kaiju film for me. Very cool. Right on. So uh, the, we kind of like swam in between what you liked and what you didn't like there. Is there anything like if you had to go for your two extremes, like something you just wish they did differently and then something you – loved and which you'd seen more of i okay the thing that i wish they could have done differently would have been that i would have liked an end <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. that wasn't a, a complete out of the blue and then everybody died and and that was the end of the movie that that was pretty disappointing and i it's not like it's a trend with kaiju films for them not to have some kind of resolution even even far-fetched ones like godzilla shows up and then beats the guy up something along those lines but for for the incredible coincidence of a uh, of a sea volcano to erupt right where two gargantuas are fighting (laughs) at that very moment is that strains credulity Um, just outside of a major metropolitan area yeah it's, it's 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 very yeah, that's a bit disappointing. Um, but as far as the thing I like the most, I, I would say just the the general pacing, the suits, and the special effects. Uh, it just it was the kid in me really enjoyed watching this movie. Very cool. I, I actually just uh, one of the things when you were talking about the the elongated setup time that we we had to see for the Mazer stuff. I was actually as we were watching it, I also kind of felt the same way. I was like, wow, this is really going on for quite some time, and it wasn't just the setup, but it was almost in, in a sense, it was like everything from right when we cut to that scene, essentially, if you want to call that one big long scene in the, in the woods, uh, any kind of ma- uh, major special effects scenes, they seemed like, Oh, we spent all this time and effort into putting, you know, this and budget too, uh, into putting this stuff together. Like we got to show, we got to show it. Cause we got some really great footage from it, you know? Definitely could have been trimmed down a little bit, in my opinion. Then that's actually where I thought the movie was dragging. Like earlier when we were watching it, I totally acknowledged that um, when you're not sitting there talking throughout the entire movie to record a commentary, I was very surprised at how brisk the pace was up until like those giant special effects scenes. Uh, Brian, let's do let's do this. Uh, Thing Lux. you liked, thing you loved, you know. 
Uh, well, yeah. First thing well, you hated, thing you love. Yeah, I agree. The ending is totally uh, ridiculous. And uh, as we discussed in the commentary, that scene of hooking up all that stuff is just ridiculous. And the fact that there's no explanation as well, there's just people hooking things up. If you've never seen the movie, you're like, what is going on here? And I've seen it so many times that I know what's going on, but I'm still like, oh, it's brutal. It's just so brutal. But if you can look past those big lumps, I think everything else is just great. I love Kumi Mizuno. Mm-hmm. Playing essentially the same character that she did in Frankenstein. Um, uh, I loved Ross Tamblin in a way. I mean, he's no Nick Adams, but... You just said you loved Ross Tamblin? In a way. I I reevaluated my Ross Tamblin stance since really? we watched uh, the commentary. Because he mentioned that he was on Twin Peaks. Martin mentioned that yeah, uh, Ross Tamblin yeah. was on Twin Peaks. So I've delved a little deeper, and my appreciation for Russ Tamblin is quite a bit higher now. But Interesting. He, I think now, he was West Side Story, too. I think yeah, he was one of the dancers in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was He was the lead yeah. in West Side Story. Uh, was he the lead? Yeah. I, 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 I'm yeah. pretty sure he's the lead in... <laughs> I am not going to go watch West Side Story <laughs> just to prove this point. Yeah. Or, uh, but I'm pretty sure he's like the lead... Uh, <laughs> he's the lead uh, member of the Jets. Yeah, because yeah. you have standards. <laughs> no, uh, it's it's more of a time management issue for me. <laughs> I have no standards. <laughs> I, think, I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, it's I I love everything about it. I and I mean, obviously, it could be paced a little bit different. You could have the brown gargantuan show up earlier, and the whole movie would have kind of flowed much better. Because hmm. that's when you really kind of figure out what the movie is. And I'm a huge King Kong fan, and the the brown gargantua saving the girl and there's a lot of king kong homages in this movie more so than most of the rest of the godzilla films you know you're absolutely right i'm surprised that none of us have mentioned that sooner mm-hmm. the fact that that it's it's kind of hard to get around the fact that it's so similar to king kong yeah there's a lot of similarities i mean i think once you have a um well i don't want to say bipedal because godzilla is a bipedal monster but once you have a very humanoid monster I think it's very easy for a studio to slip into sort of like the King Kongisms, mm-hmm. where you have the hand, you know, the gigantic hand prop that carries or picks up a woman, and you know, maybe even her. some, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or maybe even some uh, sort of like uh, you know, enamorism, just making up words uh, between the the monster and and humans. One uh, thing, one thing to think about in terms of uh, like in the, with uh, picking up the girls and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the original Kong, he picks up a girl who's blonde, but it's not Anne, and he drops her, and that was deemed too violent and was cut out of the film and didn't get restored until about the seventies. So that scene had become something of a legend almost, and that's why it shows up almost three times in this movie. Like if he didn't eat the one girl, he right. would have dropped her. Interesting. So that might be why you get to see that thing three times is it's one of the scenes that was cut out and well, well known. So we should also point out just briefly that in the Japanese version of this movie, when Gyra eats the woman in the airport, he does not spit out her clothes, her clothes I guess. I spits out flowers, uh, which was weird because I think I hadn't, I didn't notice that until tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, the, also, the flowers are like words they get stuck in your throat. <laughs> Come on, dude. Uh, okay, so actually, I have to say one thing before I, I go into uh, 
your extremes like dislikes, uh, unless Brian still had things to talk about. No, um, I was wrong. He is not the lead member of the Jets. He is, I think, like the 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 leader of the Jets. So he plays Riff, uh, and the lead in the movie is Tony, played by a different person, and not <laughs> someone who's not Russ Tamlin. So it doesn't really matter, but. Uh, so Martin, what about you? You're you're high, you're low. What was it for this film? Uh, so there there are two two lows that I want to mention. I actually think watching this in the in the Japanese version takes away from the fact that there is Russ Tamlin in there because he's voiced over the whole time, and it's kind of this weird, kitschy, fun. He's voiced over. Yeah, he's dubbed over, yeah. and you have to read, and you have so, to read. What so he's you're saying. not you're not paying There's, attention so much to his acting as yeah, you would be. For, so for for me, for us, I guess I don't know. It, the the experience of having him having him in there is almost kind of meaningless. And mm-hmm. if you speak Japanese and you're not having to read below and you're watching this whole thing, you're like, wow, that's it's an American guy, and even though they've dubbed over him. But yeah, so the the uh the interest of having him in there for any weird you know fun yeah. reason is kind of <laughs> lost lost through all of that but um yeah that whole middle section uh, the whole middle section in the end the whole setup for the mazers and the only reason i even bring up the whole setup again with that on how long it drags is because it actually sets up one of the coolest scenes i think in there because when uh, when Gyra is running through the forest and the mazers are going off and they're shaving off all the trees, yeah, that's all practical effects work that they went back and did the little illustrated lightning bolts on. So they coordinated that whole thing through there with all of those trees getting shaved off yeah, by totally. the maser cannon. That's really good work that they had planned it all out. Do you know how they... Okay, so the way they do that is they have... Uh, they obviously they coordinate it and they uh sorry they choreograph it so mm-hmm. uh like but uh Haruo Nakajima who plays Gaira in this in this movie he says okay well I'm going to go this way and then they have these dudes with these small spotlights and like they're literally like small blue spotlights that are following him mm-hmm. and that's supposed to be like where the energy blast goes so when it basically goes to cut through a tree that's they have the um one of the special effects guys will have this this box that almost looks like a ladder, and he's taking a uh, a wand and basically hitting the ladder at certain points. So he's kind of dragging it where the tree blasts are happening, and that's setting off the little miniature explosives that that are cutting the trees down. Fantastic <laughs> stuff! Impressive. I really, really like that's such a, such an amazing. Uh, special effects scene just the entire attack on gyra in the woods like once the attack happens and they've you know got the electrodes in the water and the maser tanks are hitting him and uh they've got those weird like just sort of laser things i guess they're lasers that were shooting him and like just hitting him in the foot everything about that attack and him uh falling in the water and like as we were saying there in the commentary when i actually started feeling bad for him because like he really looks effective, more effective than any other attack on any other kaiju where he's just like shaking and is like you can tell he's just getting so tired and so tired and then he falls in the water and it's electrified and he just 
flips around. And anyway. he thrashes really good. He yeah, does, totally. does a really yeah. great job in all of that. So it's it's just interesting to have the whole lead up to what I think is one of the best scenes, probably the best scene in the whole film, <laughs> is is just the long Follow. drag. <laughs> yeah. and it, I, and it's, Following the most boring scene. In the yeah, movie. absolutely. And I really think it's because with with that scene of the the really boring part and then the end, I really feel like this movie kind of suffers from they had an idea of these really awesome things that they wanted to film mm-hmm. and they didn't have the other pieces in between a couple of times. I mean, for, for the most part, the movie does really well, but I that that's just kind of the way it feels like they knew they wanted to film these these things and they did. They just didn't yeah. always know how to tie them together. So your favorite part was that your you know your high was the the scene yeah. the attack scene really yeah, absolutely all right so I, I would actually agree that that would also be my high that would be the 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 pinnacle of awesome in this movie not to mention the fact that this is where we get the maser tanks and the maser tanks are brought back in movie after movie after movie uh it's slightly changed here and there and just they're a staple in the godzilla universe and i think that's uh, that's you know i use this word a lot recently because we've been watching a lot of the older films. It's iconic, and it's something that so many people across the world recognize as being like Godzilla iconography, and that's the, the I mean, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have Mazer Tanks in my collection here. Uh, and then the low point, um, it's, <laughs> there are several, but uh, while I will not say that Rust Hamlin was the worst part about this movie, since we watched the Japanese version, um, I will say that Kip Hamilton's song <laughs> just cannot ever figure out a way to just ignore that. <laughs> it just happens. And every time I have to see this movie, every time I watch this movie, excuse me, I have to sit through that scene and I'm like, ah, like I think I mentioned during the during the movie, I wish I had like a little uh, TiVo thing where I could just go <laughs> and like skip right through the, the song, but... Anyway, I really like the song. Do you really? <laughs> well, I mean, it Adam, wasn't, you were an odd duck, sir. It, 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 it wasn't sung well. But it's so like, awful. It's fun to watch. No, <laughs> I actually enjoyed the melody and the lyrics. <laughs> Adam, I want I want your band to cover that song now. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, who else? You guys have anything else you want to say specifically about this movie, or should we just move into final thoughts? I, I have uh, a bit of a question. Um, I will. Try try to answer it what between the japanese notion of this as a sequel to frankenstein conquers the world versus the americanization of it wherein they divorce themselves from the sequel how much is this a sequel versus how much is it not okay so brian you can try and help me out on this too if i Mm -hmm. if i start to falter uh it was initially written as a sequel so that's why you see uh, references in the script to Frankenstein. And there were some of the same actors? Uh, Kenji, Kenji Sahara and Kumi Mizuno. No, Kenji Sahara wasn't in... He wasn't in Frankenstein Conquers the World, was he? No. I mean, I'm sure he probably was in Frankenstein Conquers <laughs> the World. I mean, he's in so uh, many of these films. I'm remembering that wrong. I now. thought it was Takarada, but uh, talk for me for a second while the, while the page loads. Uh, that's one of the major differences. Um, the film's title in, in Japan is Frankenstein's Monsters, Sanda versus Gyra. So right there in the title. And then 
Uh, it's Kumi Mizuno is, I think she's playing a different character, but they flash back to that scene of the young Sanda and it's flat out a scene from Frankenstein conquers the world. So like a scene that would have been in that movie no, or a it's, scene? it's almost literally a scene of like the young Frankenstein. It's, it, it's not like shot for shot, word for word, but it's incredibly close to us. Yeah. I think other- if you, if you went to see the movie in 1965 in the theaters and then you went to go see this movie in 1966 you'd probably look at it and go right i remember when that happened you know you'd you'd i mean unless you went to go see frankenstein conquers the world like a bunch of times because the differences are if you're comparing them shot you know not shot for shot but just even like progression like what happens in this movie and that movie it's very similar, but at the same time, it's very different. Like, mm-hmm. it's definitely not a baby Frankenstein. It's a it's a teenage Frankenstein. Uh, to you know, quote the movie <laughs> title. But uh, uh, the and you know, this was sort of like a baby Santa that you see, and uh, he's playing with her purse in in Frank uh, in War of the Gargantuas, and then uh, Kumi Mizuno's character gives him some food, and uh, in Frankenstein conquers the world, he's hungry. Uh, but he sees something shiny. I think he sees her necklace and he mm-hmm. goes for her. And like Nick Adams character, like totally just smashes the chair on him and he like <laughs> brushes it off. And it's crazy. It's like weird that they, they made that similarity, but it's just so different when you, when you know the two movies. So a pseudo sequel, a pseudo sequel. And I think that's really what ended up happening is like, uh, you know, it was supposed to be a sequel, and then I think somewhere it wasn't necessarily like the movie was finished, and they showed it to the American, you know, companies, and they said this, we don't want this. You know, I think somewhere along the lines during pre-production, they decided to make the changes, and that's where that's why you get some some of the differences, and why uh, why in the American version. Russ Hamlin actually does say the word gargantuas, and he never says Frankenstein in the American version. Well, I do have to say that as far as titles go, War of the Gargantuas is a much more awesome <laughs> yeah, title. Yeah. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't know how well Frankenstein Conquers the World did in the United States, but you know, the fact that they didn't want a sequel to that, it's probably a good thing, because I, I like the American, uh, at least the Americanization better as far as the title goes. It's kind of like Batman Forever, and that it's a sequel that is <laughs> divorced from the one right before it. So, oh, you're talking about the, the Schumacher films, right? Yeah. Okay. Which one did you think I was talking about? I, when, I don't know. You said Batman Forever. I think I always get my Batman titles. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not. You, uh, you realize you just made me picture Godzilla with like cod pieces suit. and nipple suits. <laughs> I didn't say Batman <laughs> and Robin. I didn't. I didn't go there. Not that there's much difference, but. Uh, so, uh, final thoughts. Um, would you show the this movie to someone who is new to the genre, or would you just wait for, uh, you know, for them to catch up on other films, Martin? I don't think this is a uh, first time film, but mm-hmm. for my third time, it was quite enjoyable. Okay, <laughs> Adam. It depends on whether somebody specifically wants monsters and doesn't care about anything else except show me some cool monsters or if they want 
fighting and or some better special effects. It, it depends on where they on where they're personally falling on the hokiness scale versus right yeah. versus just I want a giant giant lizard. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I recommend it to a lot of people. I've shown it to a lot of people, and when I play it for a lot of people, I do tend to fast forward through you know the setup and but i do stop and show them the words get stuck in my throat i've got to be like you got to see that. <laughs> you cannot pass that thing this is you absolutely crazy but i mean the the effects in the ending and all that it's just one of the best examples of toho's monster movies so what's the reaction like when you've shown it to people who haven't really been familiar with the entire genre yeah well, unless they're being very, very polite, most people are really, really dig it. It's fun, you know, especially when you cut out all the other bits and it's really fun. So right on. All right. In terms of if someone's just looking for an example of a monster movie, that's the one I throw at them. So that's cool. This is I mean, essentially, this is kind of like the last horror kaiju movie that Toho mm-hmm. made. You know, everything else after this is just right downhill as far as like Kitty Fair goes. I mean, I love the movies, don't get me wrong, yeah. but I mean, definitely not. I mean, until you get to like 1984 when they made right. Godzilla, Godzilla Returns. Uh, and as far as my final thoughts go, you know, I I do really enjoy this movie, but it's uh, not nearly as high up on the list as it is for you, Brian. I think I would probably put this uh, somewhere, if I had that massive scale, I'd probably put it somewhere in like the 20s somewhere. It's got some really great stuff in it. And again, it's got some very iconic things in it, like the Mazer tanks. And, uh, you know, the two gargantuas are very, very iconic in and of themselves. So uh, we did get some homework in for this for this movie. So let's read those now. Jace says that War of the Gargantuas is one of those Toho treasures that he only recently discovered when he purchased the double DVD with Rodan which is one of his favorites. The film is highly entertaining, though some more meat to the human story would have been a nice touch. Maybe Nick Adams could have helped, but the script and storyline were the real problems. The monster design is excellent, and once again, the scaled-down kaiju make for great miniatures. Furthermore, the monster action is definitely more interesting since the creatures seem to be actually threatened by the Japanese military. All in all, Jace would give this film a two-thumbs-up, Recommended to anybody wanting to break into the kaiju world, and he does hope that Gyra and Sanda find their way into the IDW comics. Johnny notes that if any kaiju movie is deserving the word war, in its title, it definitely has to be War of the Gargantuas. Toho did another fabulous job, but what sets this film apart are the humanoid kaiju brothers Sanda and Gyra. This is a good thing because their fights were so intense because of this. The relationship between Sanda and the humans is nice, but the brothers' relationship works much better. The movie perfectly exemplifies that some kaiju have human characteristics. One of the best moments in the film was when Kip Hamilton was singing The Words Get Stuck in My Throat, gets picked up by Gyra. Some people would just chant, eat her. Johnny gives this movie a 4.5 kaiju brothers out of 5. As a child, War of the Gargantua is one of, one of those meh movies for Herman. The Saturday morning sci-fi show he used to watch that would typically show movies like Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, Monster Zero, etc. would sometimes show this movie. Like King Kong Escapes, it was one of those films that he would just watch because it was Japanese and it had monsters, but he kept wishing Godzilla was in it. And that is how Herman viewed the film as a child. Now he sees it as a very good kaiju film, 
The tragic brother-against-brother brother element to the story is compelling. One of the strengths is that Gyra is an actual direct threat to humans with his appetite. You don't get that in every kaiju film. He always loved that it, uh, the It Was a Dark and Stormy Night opening with the giant octopus. That was a suspenseful, atmospheric way to introduce Gyra. Bottom line, he'll always prefer a Godzilla movie to War of the Gargantuas, but recognizes it as a classic film. This is the first non-Godzilla kaiju-related film Clyde has ever seen as a youngster, and as such, found it dull. No Godzilla. He does remember that this is the first movie he saw with Mazer tanks and thought those were kind of neat. Flash forward 30 years and after watching it on Netflix, he now realizes how mature his tastes in kaiju have become. This has become one of Clyde's favorite films ever. Top 5. Clyde loves how, for once in a movie of this nature, the scientific community and the military aren't at odds at every turn. Maybe not till the end, though. The subtle and not-so-subtle differences in the gargantua suits are really striking and really well put together. Clyde is pretty sure the actors appreciated the wider range of motion, which really put them on the spot, for better body language differences between the two of them. The military organizing scenes are one of his favorites, and Clyde doesn't think he has ever seen such an expansive deployment in any kaiju film to date. The background locations and the soundtrack really complemented each other. The final battle is well done and the ending is breathtaking. From suit design to soundtrack to some decent dubbing to some of his favorite miniature work, this movie is one of the best. Ron just watched War of the Gargantuas for the first time in years, and wow, what a good movie. He thought that even though Godzilla isn't in the movie, it was cool to see these two kaiju have an old-fashioned slobber knocker in the middle of Tokyo. I don't think I've ever heard that term before, slobber knocker, but it's cool. Uh, <clears throat> and then he says, is, uh, is he the only one to find it odd that no one spots Sanda after he escaped the lab? Or that at the end, the volcano just happened to show up as the monsters reached the open ocean? No, Ron, you are not the only one to question that. Uh, could Russ Tamlin <laughs> could Russ Tamlin seem any less excited to be in a giant monster movie or share a scene with Kumi Mizuno? Ron would just uh, he would show a new monster fan this movie because it's a lot of fun. All right, Mark said that he's always wanted to see this movie and finally got the chance to watch it on Netflix. And in his opinion, War of the Gargantuas did not disappoint. It's one of the best non-Godzilla kaiju films released by Toho, and he would highly recommend this movie to anyone interested in watching kaiju films. He can honestly say that he didn't find anything wrong with this movie and that it says here that there wasn't one thing I could point out that I really liked, but I think he was saying there was not one thing he didn't like. So, Hey man, don't put words in my listeners' mouths. <laughs> well, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> he's so jazzed on the movie. It wouldn't make sense that he didn't like something. So I think he just wrote that wrong. So I would agree. Mike realizes the high regard that this film has uh, long been held in by the legions of kaiju aficionados. He has even heard it referred to as the best Japanese monster film ever made, but guesses he's always been the dissenting voice when it comes to War of the Gargantuas. It took him a long time to come around to liking it as much as he now does, but he still wouldn't put it in the top 10 or perhaps even top 20 echelon of tokusatsu eiga classics. Frankenstein Conquers the World is the superior film of the two. But let's jump into what's good about it. Lots of classic scenes, such as Gyra's battle with the octopus, his reaching up through the water to attack the small fishing ship, his attack at Haneda Airport, and spitting out the dress of the woman he chomps down on, and the battles with his brother Sanda. We have the first appearance of the genre staple Mazer Cannons, and some excellent miniatures. There's a great score by a Fukube and a rather unorthodox kaiju design that doesn't follow the dinosaur slash reptile 
I almost said reptile <clears throat> reptile model and allows the actors faces to emote and really lets them act despite those positives. Uh, the downside is the downside is that Mike still prefers the dinosaur reptile model of Kaiju trying to work out the continuity between this and Frankenstein conquers the world can give you a headache almost as uh, bad as trying to fit Superman returns in with the Christopher Reeve films. Brian laughed at that for, uh, yes. <laughs> for the record. You have Kumi Mizuno in both movies playing two different characters, yet both have a similar history with their Frankenstein. You have a baby Frankenstein that looks like an Ewok and a flashback scene that cannot be related to what happens in Frankenstein conquers the world. Uh, Russ Tamlin is obviously neither Nick Adams nor the character he played. Only the only two ways to allow everything to make sense is to either a assume that the Ewok Frankenstein was discovered after the events of Frankenstein conquers the world and take it from there or B just consider the whole thing a reboot. Russ Tamlin has given uh, good to adequate performances before in movies like the haunting, but he's just phoning it in here. Indeed. He's admitted in interviews that he just wasn't into the film. And do we really need to to mention the words get stuck in my throat or is it feel in my heart? Whatever it is, Mike will just say that uh, it had the honor of being honored by one of the Scooby-Doo shows, which uh, is actually really cool. Ian watched this month's Dakaiju discussion four different ways. VHS from Universal, Toho Masters Collection 2-pack with Rodan in English and subtitles, and with the Kaiju commentary from KaijuCast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For non-Godzilla fans, this movie works as a good entrance film. It balances the human story with the battle between two giant monsters. It is also interesting to watch the story unfold between Sanda and Gaira. At first, Sanda only wants to help... Uh, and protect Gaira from a surprisingly effective Japanese self-defense force. But once he discovers that Gaira kills, the giant wrestling match begins. The suits for the monsters, as well as the set pieces, have a very nice detailing that seems to be lost with other kaiju movies, thanks to the smaller scale of the monsters. On a scale of 1 to 5, Ian gives this a solid 4. Jamie says that there was so much good in this movie that he's really not sure where to begin. So we'll start with the bad... And shake his head at Russ Hamlin's acting. Note the finger <laughs> quotes. Uh, Jamie has never seen anyone so disconnected from a role in a movie and doesn't see any point to his role in the film at all. The voice actor who dubbed him in Japanese was the only person portraying any emotion in Dr. Paul Stewart. As Jamie's acting instructor said, if you're disconnected from the emotion of the role you're trying to fill, it will show on camera. He wants his three minutes back from watching the words get stuck in my throat, which is actually six minutes since he saw the movie twice. The erupting volcano at the end just appeared out of nowhere and was a complete deus ex machina. Why am I having trouble with that? I said it earlier. Deus ex machina. Is it stuck in your throat? It is. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, Martin. Now I have to leave that in. Uh, Now that those points are out of the way, let's talk about the good. The action was great and intense, and Sanda and Gaira's suit acting was wonderful. With nothing but body language, they were able to convey emotion and show just how different the two characters were from each other, and not just in color. The sets were massive, from the various countryside sets to the airport uh, to downtown Tokyo. Jamie has never seen anything so well done, and in such a large scale either. He can't imagine how long it took them to, to make it all, and when the buildings collapse, you get a real sense of the weight. Gyra is downright scary, and the scene of him pursuing the fishermen is not only fantastic uh, visually, 
but is scary as heck. Can you imagine trying to get away from anything while swimming? Humans can swim, but being caught while swimming just adds an extra layer of terror to that entire scenario. The use of giant hands, where the various humans are being lifted by Gyra, also added to the movie, and it made Jamie think of the original Kong. Like Toho wanted to add in a little tribute to King Kong in their own way. And finally, Kumi Mizuno is downright beautiful and a lovely-looking woman. But why, oh why, was she wearing high heels while running <laughs> running out near the end to try and save Sanda? She didn't have any... Uh, she didn't have any sneakers, and seriously, she could have done so much better than Russ Hamlin's character. All in all, Jamie would highly recommend this movie to newcomers to kaiju movies. It simply does not get any better than this. Of all the kaiju movies Matt and his dog Ashley watched as a kid, only two transcended simple weekend afternoon entertainment to get under his skin and creep him out. Godzilla vs. Hedera and War of the Gargantuas. Gargantuas present a different kind of monster, not a slow lumbering behemoth that, if given any warning at all, you could get away from, but a quick people-eating creature that could be on you in a flash. Now, years later, watching War of the Gargantuas with a more sophisticated eye, Matt is able to better identify the elements of the film that gave him nightmares as a kid. Yes, the Gargantuas are monsters, but in their greater similarity to people, there is a sinister quality to them that a monster like Ghidorah can't bring to the table. What's scarier than a monster with three heads? A monster you can relate to. The top-notch sets and miniature work really enhance the reality of the movie. The airport scene is downright scary. Despite a disinterested Rust Hamblin and a song that gets stuck in Matt's head, War of the Gargantua stands as one of his favorites from Toho. Robin had never watched War of the Gargantuas before and thinks he might have had his hopes up a little too high going into it. All in all, it felt like a less intriguing version of Frankenstein Conquers the World, the random American scientist, his female colleague, who's got a great hand with the humanoid monsters, and their third-wheel other science dude. Uh, we watch them as they try and reason with the military, who are only trying to do their job in protecting people from the devastating giants on the prowl. Ultimately, all monsters get swallowed up by the Earth for no apparent reason. Roll credits. It lacked the buildup of a monster as a person, by the way, uh, the way the previous Frankenstein did with its titular character, and the first movie had better human act interaction and drama than this one. What this movie did have going for it, it kicked off with some serious monster action right from the get-go and packed a lot of hairy kaiju scenes throughout the entire film. Robin was expecting a more hands-on explanation for the monster's origin in regards to the first movie, but all we really had to know was that Frankenstein's cells regenerated and were, and were able to create new monsters. Uh, must have made some audience members confused, though, with all the talk about Frankenstein this and Frankenstein that if one did not know about the previous film. But then, why weren't there more monsters? They found plenty of hair and stuff lying around all over the place, so there must have been uh, even more monster cells in the woods that they didn't find. Thus, the whole Toho universe ought to be teeming with Frankensteiners. Uh, when watching these types of kaiju movies, where you've got the protagonists really dead set on wanting to protect the monsters and talk the military out of killing the beasts, Robin finds himself siding with the soldiers more and more. They're trying to save the people from certain death at the jaws of giants, and a bunch of hippie scientists step in to try and dissuade them, and yet he gets the feeling that the army is supposed to be the bad guy in a lot of these films. Speaking of the army, what was up with their plan of baiting Gyra with the helicopter? When the monster trashes the second chopper, they still send in a new one, flying in exactly at the same height, angle, and speed. 
save from the certain death only by chance of luck. Not the brightest plan. Lastly, when looking the movie up on IMDb, Robin found out that it had a Swedish release back in the day and thought its title was pretty funny. And I am not very good at trying to uh, read Swedish, so I'm going to just say King Kongarnas Krieg, The War of King Kongs. Not a blatant copyright infringement in sight. Adam says that War of the Gargantuas is another great action movie from Toho that suffers from lack, from a lackluster script, lackluster acting, and lackluster directing. Despite a great opening, the film starts to bog down almost immediately with, with following scenes of the Maritime Safety Bureau trying to figure out what happened. Even the ending of the film is hackneyed with a volcano coming out of nowhere to consume the beasts, an ending scene, scene similar to Rodan, but lacking the earlier film's artistic embellishment and poignancy. I kind of forgot that that was in Rodan, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I mean, it was, I mentioned it, it was like the last <laughs> horror movie or, I mean, you could even call it, you know, standard monster on the loose film in a sense. I mean, it's a kaiju film and it's it came out way after their sort of monster on the loose phase. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of got the same thing. Like, where do you go from here? Same thing with Frank uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World. It's like right. they didn't necessarily know it was going to be a sequel, I would imagine. So they didn't have any reason to sequelize the ending, if that's a term you would use for that. But uh, yeah, same kind of thing. Just like the monsters either die, like we destroy them or they get, you know, sucked into an abyss or, you know, get taken away somehow. Right. Adam also said that Russ Tamblin regrettably belonged to the acting trip of actors who did not care for acting in genre films. Tamlin just seems to sleepwalk through his role, never varying his expressions, seldom making eye contact with his fellow actors and rarely reacts to what others are saying around him. Kenji Sahara's disinterest in his role as Dr. Yuzo Majida comes across as plainly as did Tamblin's, particularly in their first scene when he is sitting next to Tamblin during the briefing with the press. As Stewart suggests that the reporters question the sailor again, Sahara is wearing a stern expression and is looking off to the side, an indication that though he was shot, he wasn't in the scene at all. Uh, surprisingly, Kumi Mizuno is actually giving her role the sincerity and passion lacking from her, her two male leads and everyone else in the film. Mizuno's wonderful acting is definitely a highlight, and along with the excellent effects and music provided by Surabaya and Ifukube, keep this film from be being unbearable. Unfortunately, Honda has to share some of the blame for the movie's problems, as he, hand, as he had a hand in the script writing and trusted his associates to perform their tasks as ardently and efficiently as possible, giving them little in the way of guidance or advice. Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monsters, Sanda vs. Gyra slash War of the Gargantua is definitely not a bad movie, but not one of the greatest movies ever. Emerson watched the subtitled version of the film and recently listened to the kaiju commentary as well. Good job, Emerson. He found everything pretty up to par with other films of the period and is willing to admit that he's never really been a fan of humanoid monsters, but Gyra and Sanda are the rare exception. The Gargantuas looked pretty good. He liked that you could see the actor's eyes, giving them the ability to emote. The slimmer suits gave them a speed and agility not seen very often in the Toho Kingdom. After viewing the film, he was reminded about its connection to the Millennium Mechagodzilla saga, which he read was intended to be a trilogy, but poor box office results, uh, sorry, but poor box office returns changed that. In Godzilla X Mechagodzilla, it was established that the War of the Gargantuas was within the continuity of that universe, 
Why did they choose them? Was it just for the Mazer canon, or were Gyra and Sanda eventually intended to appear with an updated look? Emerson's never found any information on the subject, but is pretty intrigued by the idea. Any thoughts or trivia on the subject from the group? That is actually for us. Um, I have not read that. I have not come across anything uh, for that. But to be perfectly honest, I have not done a lot of reading into the Millennium series. Brian, you haven't, right? Not really, no. I, I, I feel like that the scene he's talking about is just kind of a throwaway reference more than a plan of action, but... Well, I tell you what, Emerson, if I ever interview Masaki Tezuka, I will ask him about that. Right? That's pretty good, right? Yeah. And to close, War of the Gargantuas is definitely one of Toho's best, and Emerson would totally recommend it to a budding fan of the genre. Paul says, War of the Gargantuas is a good kaiju movie with a rather abrupt, lackluster ending. Nonetheless, it's a much better movie than its predecessor, Frankenstein Conquers the World. Robert was not as lucky as Brad Pitt to have seen War of the Gargantuas as a child. He only found out about this movie after having his Horizons experience... (laughs) Sorry. After having... I I read a little further than I wanted to. After having his Horizons expanded by the mind-altering wealth of knowledge that flows from the kaiju cast. (laughs) After acquiring the Japanese version of this movie, he did not see the American version until a recent classic media release. Viewing enjoyment of that version was greatly enhanced with the kaiju commentary. What a great action flick. Robert agrees that while this is some of the best model work and kaiju action we get in a non-Godzilla film, the human part of the story is severely lacking. The greatest amount of viewer empathy is directed toward the monsters themselves. What a testament to the skill of the suit actors. And that is almost all of the, uh, the homework that we received. Um, I have to throw a disclaimer down because... Um, this is sort of a one-time deal in a, in a sense, uh, and I was fully prepared to be a huge jerk and tell Charlie and Bug that they could not send their homework in um, this way, but then I listened to it. Charlie here. And Bug. We're the father-son guys who bring our custom Godzilla pinball to G-Fest every year, and I'm also the co-host of the Spooky Pinball Podcast. We feel sorry for poor Kyle who has to read and edit all of those kaiju commentaries every month. So we recorded our own to help the guy out. Yep. We had a voice recorder with a built-in microphone. So we're sending our homework to you. But the words get stuck in our throats. The words get stuck in our throat. (laughs) We're sorry. Yeah, that was payback for uh, playing the Devo version of that song at the end of uh, Kaiju Cast there a few months back and (laughs) getting it stuck in our heads. Kyle. We kid. I prefer the Japanese version of this film, mostly because it ties this movie to the previous Frankenstein Conquers the World movie better than the American version did by a long shot. How about you, Bug? Yep. When I first watched the Japanese movie, I was blown away by how much the story just changed to a sequel of Toho's Frankenstein movie. Uh, The effects are just plain fun in this movie. I love the whole Giara running across the airport scene kind of looks like he's using it for a football field you know go packers we're from wisconsin and the whole mazer blowing the living bejeebus out of the tree line is nothing short of incredible my favorite two things were gyra eating everybody and spitting their clothes back out weird and russ tamlin's goofy haircut even weirder uh <laughs> is war of the gargantua is a good movie mm, no 
It goes right past bad into awesome territory. What's not to love about two giant hairy Bigfoot-looking monster dudes trashing Tokyo? Not to mention uh, Gyara running around eating half the residents of Japan, as Bug mentioned. But why didn't they have the girl singer get stuck in his throat? <laughs> Missed opportunity, dude, because that would have been hilarious. <laughs> Let's rate this movie. On a scale of 1 to 10 people eaten, how many would you give this one, Dad? Uh, I'm giving it a solid 7 of 10 consumed humans. Wait, yummy, I mean, Kumi Mizuno is in this, so I'm going to go with a 10, because she's a 10. One day you'll understand why, son. How do you rate this film? I'd agree with your call on a 7. Well, as Kyle would ask, would you recommend this film to casual fans as an introduction to kaiju flicks? Well, when I have friends that haven't seen a kaiju film, I always show them a newer Godzilla movie... I'd only show this to my friends that like really, really, really goofy, weird stuff. Which is most of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they hang out with you. So apparently they like goofy stuff. Ah. <laughs> uh, and I would agree with your assessment of this film. As a huge Mystery Science Theater fan, as is Kyle, I would show this to my friends that appreciate the beauty of odd and fun films. And I'd use GMK as my standard kaiju icebreaker because it's awesome. <laughs> yep. And kaiju films have an odd idea of what Frankenstein should look like. They do, but it works somehow in an awesome, weird, strange kind of Toho way. Yeah. So, well, that's it for our homework, Kyle. Yep, see you at G-Fest. If I had a tiny microphone stuck inside my heart, it would amplify my love for you. Kaiju cast. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> so the deal is uh, that I made a special <laughs> exception for those guys uh, for a couple reasons. One, that was perfect in tone time, and seriously, that was just a great review. Um, and they've set the bar really high because uh, uh, that brings me to number two. The fan club uh, that we're going to be announcing next month at G-Fest, um, there are different levels to that club, and one of them will have the ability to call in your homework uh, and and leave a succinct rule-following message that will essentially be your Daikaiju discussion. Anyway, that was pretty much all of our Daikaiju discussions. Next month, we're doing Pacific Rim. So have your homework turned in by July 25th to have your thoughts, questions, and reviews included in the next Daikaiju discussion episode. And uh, let's just move on to the news. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So we do have some news to cover, and unfortunately for time, it is a lot of stuff. I'm going to go ahead and just sort of blaze right through this. The first thing I wanted to alert you guys to is there is a Kickstarter campaign for World War Kaiju, which is a, a graphic novel, in a sense. In a sense uh, it is a ni really nice-looking presentation, and uh, I highly suggest you check it out. If it looks like something you want to support, make sure you click that Donate button or... Um, the whatever button they have that <laughs> that uh, helps you donate to them. They've got some cool like sponsorship things. But what I found really entertaining and exciting was the idea for all of their issues to be in one big combined thing, which is part of their stretch goals. They're doing 
they're doing okay so far. Uh, check the show notes and make sure you support them if you are able and interested. Next up on SciFiJapan.com, they have shared the production notes and a whole bunch of photos for Pacific Rim. Now, you guys know I'm very excited about this film. I hope you are, too. Uh, at this point, I think it's really important that um, all of the Godzilla fans, especially the kaiju fans out there, go and see the film, but drag your family along with you. Uh, we really want this movie to do well, because if Pacific Rim does well, that's going to do uh, good things for Godzilla in 2014. So make sure you get out there, check out the movie when it comes out on July 12th. If you're interested in seeing the production uh, stills and photos and information about that stuff, Sci-Fi Japan has a pretty lengthy article about it, so make sure you check that out on SciFiJapan.com. They also have information on Ultraman Ginga, which uh, includes a movie and I believe a tie-in to a TV show. I'm not super into Ultraman, so I'm not really following it that much, but if you love Ultraman, you probably be in your element if you were to read that article. And speaking of Ultraman stuff, um, one of the Sci-Fi Japan guys in Japan named Daisuke Ishizuka was on hand for a birthday celebration for Ultraman starlets Yuriko Hishimi and Anne Mari, and he wrote a report on Sci-Fi Japan. Uh, you should also know that um, when we went to Crypticon, unfortunately Jeff's not here to help me wax poetic about it. We had a great time. We did two panels uh, each, and they were a lot of fun. The one panel that I moderated called the Kaiju Control Group, I recorded the audio for a podcast, but because of the two episodes a month, I'm so booked that I can't really play it. So I gave the audio to Miguel Rodriguez and allowed him to uh, share that with his listeners. So if you want to listen to it now, uh, just be aware that it's going to be a future episode of the KaijuCast. Um, and you should probably subscribe to Miguel's podcast. It's pretty good. He doesn't just focus on kaiju. He focuses on monsters as a whole, horror movies and stuff like that. That's really his wheelhouse. And so his podcast reflects that. But for this particular uh, excursion, he's, uh, he's got the, the audio from that panel. Link in the show notes, of course, to that. Uh, there is some cool information on the internet right now about the SH Monster Arts figures that have been announced. Kiryu Mechagodzilla, which looks absolutely gorgeous, is going to be available um, at some point. And Biollante, who they've teased for a little while. There's finally some legitimate information about that, including price, release date, and uh, the belly lights up underneath. I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway... A lot more exposure recently. Go look at the uh, at the links I have in the show notes to that as well. Uh, speaking of toys, Sci-Fi Japan has more X Plus information. And uh, if I haven't shared it before, X Plus is releasing King Caesar and Kumanga in July. Kumanga, aka Spiga, and they are fantastic looking. I've already pre-ordered King Caesar myself. Uh, moving on to other news, you should know that Son of Monster Palooza, uh, which is sort of like the offshoot convention that I went to, oh, well, I went to the Monster Palooza convention in April. This Son of Monster Palooza is October 11th through the 13th. They have just announced Akira Takarada as a special guest. So if you're one of those people that's like, oh man, I can't make it to G Fest, I can't make it to the things they have on the East Coast because I'm on the West Coast. Uh, make sure you check out Son of Monster Palooza. If it's anywhere near as awesome as Monster Palooza, it's going to be a blast just with the programming and the vendors alone. And if you're uh, 
if you're there for Akira Takarada, you'll probably get some good one-on-one time with the guy. And it, uh, like I had a blast meeting the Ultraman folks. So, and Takarada is a super, super nice guy. But not least in the news, Godzilla Rulers of Earth is out this week. So make sure you go pick that up. A couple of events to talk about. Uh, of course, G-Fest is happening the 12th through the 14th in Chicago, Illinois. I will be there the entire weekend. We're going to have a, a live podcast Saturday at 1 p.m. So mark your calendars, get that highlighted on your schedule when you get it. And uh, come sit down and help make the podcast awesome. We're going to be talking to Shinichi Wakasa and Tom Kitagawa in that podcast. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and then also, in addition to the other awesome stuff that's going on in the convention, we're going to have another listener party. Last year, we sort of had like an impromptu one at the bar uh uh, you know, Saturday night. So we're going to do the exact same thing Saturday night at the bar, uh, probably around the backside where we can sort of fit more people. We'll uh, just kind of hang out and drink and shoot the breeze and talk about Godzilla stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, final event that I want to talk about. Now, this is not something that I'm going to be a part of, but I wanted to share it because it is Godzilla related. On the 11th of August, there is going to be a Thrillville screening of King Kong versus Godzilla with August Ragoni. Uh, in Oakland, California, and make sure you check out the link in the show notes to that event. Uh, August is going to have some goodies for people who go to the show. Now, I do have one more special announcement, uh, and then this is from the Portland Geek Council. Their third annual Geek Olympathon is taking place July 13th, so you can form a team of up to five members and compete in geeky contests and events all over Portland in order to win some fantastic prizes including four day passes for five to the world's premier gaming festival, PAX Prime in Seattle, from August 30th to September 2nd. Both weekend and single day passes to this convention have completely sold out, so you don't want to miss out on this opportunity. This year's events include a mix of old favorites and new entries that are designed to utilize a variety of nerd skills. Competitors should be prepared to show their superior knowledge of comics, video games, television, movies, and pop culture. Hosted by the PGC member organizations across Portland, not all competitions will require five members, uh, which will enable teams to split up and compete in as many events as possible. In addition to passes for five to the PAX Prime, prizes will include cash, gift certificates, toys, games, and more a full schedule of events and the online form for team registration will be available at portlandgeekcouncil.com slash Olympathon. Well, this has been quite the episode, and I think it's time to close out the show right now. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and want to experience the entirety of everything awesome that we do, point your web browsers to kaijucast.com. Uh, not only is there a list of the Daikaiju discussions, every single episode that we've uh, recorded and more information about the Kaiju cast in and of itself, it has these handy links on the right-hand side, not only to our friends' websites, but to the uh, many social media networks that we belong to, which include Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, and Vimeo channels as well. Plus, we do these things called kaiju commentaries every once in a while. We get together and we actually record a commentary for a giant monster movie. And you can download those and listen. Uh, and they're a lot of fun to record. Our next one uh, should be even more fun to record. But uh, I digress. We'll talk about that some other time. 
uh, something I, I fail to talk about quite a bit is Monster Music Mondays. Every Monday, I stream kaiju-themed audio goodies from the KaijuCast headquarters here, and uh, it's completely free to do. It's something I just feel like it would be fun to make people's Mondays more monstrous, and so I decided to start doing that. Anyway, you can find those links when it happens, either on the website or through the Facebook page. There's a lot of activity happening on the Facebook page. That's probably the most activity. The other thing I wanted to say about the podcast is please do subscribe. If you use iTunes, subscribe via iTunes. If you use some other thing, subscribe that way. If uh, for some reason you can't do that, please subscribe via Stitcher. We are on Stitcher if if you can't get it to your internet-enabled device or what have you. Uh, All of those links are on the right-hand side of the website. And that's going to do it. I'm pretty much spent here. I've been talking and talking. Thank you so much to everybody who came out and joined me tonight for War of the Gargantuas. Make sure you get your homework for Pacific Rim turned in by July 25th. And speaking of Pacific Rim, what we're going to do is we're going to actually close out the show with the first track off that soundtrack. This is actually called Pacific Rim featuring Tom Morello. uh, And it is by the composer, same composer that does the Game of Thrones intro music. It's a, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's Ramin Jawadi. So until next month, Jamata. Jamata.